Hi friends, welcome to the Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald. I am a PhD trauma researcher and a life coach, and it's my goal in life to change the way that we define and understand and treat trauma. Here's why. Trauma is not actually a sign of weakness or disorder. It's a biological response born of strength. Without it, we would not survive. So I think the first step towards healing is being able to see this so that we can stop shaming ourselves for being human. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. Each week we read your letters and give you information and advice about how to understand and demystify your experiences and symptoms so that you can heal. We bring together my research with our lived experiences so that we can all better understand and cope with trauma. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee and join us. Okay. Hi, welcome. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, since, you know, our own life experience is part of the story and part of what we have, what brought, you know, certainly what brought me to, to study this stuff and to continue studying it, but also definitely a part of, you know, why we're doing this podcast. And so, um, today we're going to talk about our mom. The other reason is because, um, the anniversary of her death was just last week, February 17th. Yeah. So, yeah. So, hi. Hi. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you brought up the idea of us talking about this last week, because it, it, we talked on the 17th, I believe. Yeah. Um, I immediately put up a wall mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of said, oh, no, you know, today's not a good day for that. Um, <laughs> let's wait till next week. <laughs> And I've been thinking about that a lot over the past week. And, you know, it's been 13 years. Yeah. 13 years. Yeah. And I um, feel like I try to compartmentalize my feelings about this. Mm -hmm. And um, that has... I have unsuccessfully tried to compartmentalize my feelings about this. And I I'm frustrated that I continue to do that, that Mm -hmm. that is my first reaction to say, no, 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 no. I don't want to talk about that right now. I don't want to be sad about this. I I don't want to be sad today. Right. (laughs) So I don't want to talk about it. And the irony of the situation is that there if I've learned anything is that you cannot control Mm -hmm. life, you know, experiences Mm -hmm. to, 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 to some extent, you cannot control what happens in your own life. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, But I'm still trying to control it. So, you know, I've lived through the trauma. I've lived through the experience. Yeah. Logically, I know that it can't be controlled. And here I am 13 years later trying to control it. (laughs) What would like, so what, this is interesting. Like, what would it look like if you were successful? Like, what is the goal or is it more just, do you not even have an idea of that? You're just trying to like shut it out. Um, I, I feel like I'm successful when I let the feelings bubble up and roll over me and I have the moment. Yeah. And sometimes I cry and sometimes I don't, you know, and then it's a release. I feel like that is success. For me. What what would successful compartmentalizing look like? Do you know what I mean? Like, because you said you started out saying 
you feel like you've been unsuccessful in compartmentalizing it? Because I don't think I, I don't think it should be compartmentalized. I don't think it should be put on a shelf. Right. But like, what are you trying to do? So I guess put it on a shelf. That's what you're trying to do. Control when you feel it, not yeah. feel it at all, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And I've made decisions based on that. You know, there are friends of moms that um, I would like to reach out to, but don't. Yeah. Because I don't want to be sad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to make them sad. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to feel it, but I'm feeling it all the time anyway. Right. So what am I, what am I trying to prove? Like, right. you know, what is this perceived control? Right. I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's challenging and it's, uh, I don't know what a healthy uh, relationship would, would that would feel like or look like. Mm-hmm. You know, but I knew what I was doing last week when you brought it up. I was like, nope, yeah, not today, Satan. I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know, I floated that as like we were going to do a letter, and I we had, we were all prepared to do the letter, and I was like, maybe we should just talk about mom. Like maybe it should be like a tribute to mom kind of thing because I think we realized whether we did it consciously or not that one of the things that um, that made us both interested in having these conversations here in this way is that we used to have these conversations with mom about psychology and, you know, family intergenerational trauma and relationships and stuff like that. Um, and Lisa was just like, no, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I was being bossy and I, I shot it down and, um, you know, there's so much here and it's so personal, but I, I wonder if the way that we handled it as a family doesn't contribute to some of this for sure. You know, yeah. And how, you know, also like how she was in terms of her own relationship to like fear and anxiety and grief. It's interesting that you mentioned like control and compartmentalizing, because I remember super vividly that um, the when I this was after dad died, but um, we should we'll tell the story in a minute, just like a quick version. But um, I went to therapy for the first time as an adult. I had been, you know, in like high school and college after a couple of like specific events had happened. But, um, and I, it was, I remember calling and leaving this message on my new therapist voicemail. And I was like, hello, um, (laughs) I have had some grief and loss in my life and, you know, it's fine and I'm doing fine, but um, I'm starting to have panic attacks. And the real problem is that they're getting away in the way of my work, my ability to work. I can't concentrate and um, I, this is not acceptable to me. And so I would like to uh, learn how to control that and control. Yeah. And then we'll be done. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I think that should take about three sessions and then we'll just wrap it up. (laughs) And that, I mean, that was literally, and she, you know, I I saw her for the whole time I lived in New York. um, And she told me probably not that long after, you know, when, when I had very clearly like recalibrated because she was like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) But that she remembered, she wanted to work with me because I was so like wrong. (laughs) (laughs) about how this works and that you don't, you can't go into this stuff trying to control. Like that is the absolute opposite. Yeah. Which, which is not to say you can't have tools and things that make you feel better in a moment of, of acute crisis, but you know, I was very much like interested in like, let's just control these little things. Give me a list of things. I'm very good at following directions. I do that all the time and yeah, done, you know? Yeah. And I think you're right that, you know, we, mom was hardwired that way, you know, Mm -hmm. she had to control Mm -hmm. 
everything out of fear, you know, um, because her own family life was so volatile that, um, and that's how she held it together. And that was a, a good coping tool for her. Yep. You know? So let's go back really quickly before we jump into that, because I think that's really important. Um, let's just explain, because we've talked about this, like, I think a couple times, just a little bit, just that we've had this loss and whatever, and that kind of motivates us and all that stuff. But sh- should we just like explain a little bit? Yeah. So dad was sick in 2005. He got like a cold and it didn't go away. I remember him being sick in January. And um Really? Yeah, he, they came to New York to see that um, Gates exhibit. Yeah. And it was January or February in 2005. Wow. He was sick. And I remember also um, mom talked about going to Boston to do do something with Jake in the, in the winter as well. And dad got the chills so bad they had to like pull over the car on the Mass Pike. Yeah. And so he, he wasn't well in 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 2005, but he was so healthy and like robust that it wasn't, you know, it was just, I think it just kind of flew under the radar. Right. And then, um, I remember on Thanksgiving, he was, you know, he had like a heating pad. He was having lower back pain. So he finally got scheduled to get a colonoscopy in December. And, um, they found that he had, you know, really late stage colon cancer and they did a surgery on the 20th, December 20th. And, um, he died on Christmas morning. Um, and I, I think the theory was that they, during the surgery, they nicked the renal vein. So he actually died of a stroke that day. Yeah. Not of the cancer. Yeah. Which was shocking. Like he had only, we didn't, we only knew that he was sick for like 10 days, you know, um, he hadn't really had the pathology, came back like the 23rd or something like that, or the 24th. I remember being there for that. And then all of a sudden he was just gone. Like we, I think we knew we were in for a battle, but we didn't know we, there was no idea that it was just going to end, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, he went, he went to the doctor, I think like December 13th or 14th. Yeah. And they sent him right to the hospital. Yeah. And he never came home. Yeah. Yeah. He was drinking the stuff for the colonoscopy and he couldn't keep it down. Right. And he was 63. Yeah. Yeah. And it was 15 years ago. 63. Yeah. And he like, you know, he had like gone to work the day before. It was like not. Oh, he never missed a day of work. But he was not like, it wasn't like he was out, you know, for a while. It was a complete, complete shock. Like, no, he was never sick. He wasn't right. sickly. He was, mm-hmm. like you said, he was healthy. He was vital. He was steady, he, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, mom fought like hell to be well and to deal with her grief and um, was very obviously sick in the end of twenty. 2007. 2007. Yeah. But I think, and you know, this is a thing I think a lot of people do. She just kind of chalked it up to grief. Like she was, her stomach hurt. She was sick. She couldn't really eat, but she, um, she, you know, 
I'm sure you remember having conversations with her about it. She was like, this is grief. I'm going to, you know, and she was also trying to deal with all this, like, as it, as is often the case, she was dealing with grief. And then all this stuff with her family of origin was coming up and she was trying to kind of urgently deal with all that stuff because, you know, sometimes when one trauma happens, other traumas kind of come out with it, wanting to be categorized and processed and all that stuff. So I think that was happening too. And then, um, she was diagnosed with cancer as well. They both had colon cancer and, but hers had already, you know, they, they had found it in the liver already by the time they were doing the diagnostic. So it was everywhere. And, um, she, I think had the diagnosis for like six weeks or something. She did two rounds of chemo. Right. Yep. Yep. And then she, do you want to tell the story of the night? Or oh. <laughs> <laughs> she um she had two rounds of chemo and uh, we ha- had decided as siblings, there's six of us, um, that we were gonna take turns kind of staying with her because she was being a tremendous blockhead and wouldn't accept any help and it's would, so fucking frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> she would push us away when we were trying to help. And she was, she was scared and, yeah. and angry and uh, confused and sick, very sick. Yeah. And um, we had a good friend and neighbor uh, uh, doctor across the street who was there. Thank God. But um, it, our brother, Matthew and myself had kind of done a tag team that weekend and it was February um, 16th and she was in bed um, I, I think the treatment was probably earlier that week and she had a port with the continuous chemo. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just, you know, went downhill very, very quickly. Matthew left. I came in. Um, you know, I, I have a hard time remembering the anniversary because I, I don't, I'm never sure what day it was. Cause it was like the middle of the night, yeah. you know? Yeah. And we, you know, we wound up at the emergency room and, um, she died in the emergency room that night. Um, yeah. She had um, uh, chemotherapy at that time. Um, Avastin was pretty new, I think. And um, it's been, it's like the gold standard though. It had been around for a while. I think oh, I it still it was is. Only a couple of, I know it is now, but I thought it was only a couple of years old at that time. Maybe, I'm not sure. You know, but the, I guess they were, the, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, the, um, it's very targeted chemo and it, um, it dislodged a tumor in her colon, which then brought her into septic shock, which right. she might've survived if she wasn't like 85 pounds and, you know, absolutely mm-hmm. going away, but, um, but she didn't. Yeah. And so it was getting everyone back to the emergency, making those phone calls in the middle of the night, which we had had when dad passed away, you know, also mm-hmm. and getting everyone to the hospital from where they were, you know, different points of Massachusetts and New York at that point. And um, yeah, I get. I mean, I guess that was shocking in a different way. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I think there was no, like we, we knew she was not doing well. Like there was no, there was no, we knew she was not doing well, but I think like, again, we thought we were in for, a battle, you know, and, and not, and it it certainly wasn't like Jake and Dan were in New York because Dan was there 
yeah, for a conference and Jake was there because we were going to a concert. Like we wouldn't have been doing that if we had thought that it was, you know, that her death was um, imminent. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, So, so yeah. So then they were both gone. Yeah. And that, you know, and then you start the, the, um, the process of the details, which is so traumatic Mm -hmm. (laughs) in and of itself, Mm -hmm. you know, dismantling a a home Mm -hmm. um, that had been our family home for almost 40 years at that point, Mm -hmm. 30, 38 years, 35 years. Um, Which is itself a huge loss. I was thinking about this the other day. I still have moments of like, I just wish I could go back home you know, yeah. just I've heard people out. say that I've heard people in a similar, in, in similar situations say like they never had a home again after yeah. losing a parent like that. They yeah. never had a place that felt like home. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, that, that was a lot. And then, you know, we had to negotiate, um, Our, our relationships with each other mm-hmm. at that point and how to treat each other mm-hmm. um, with acceptance and, and with, with um, mm-hmm. kindness. And um, I'll never forget the family attorney saying, you know, I was being a smart ass, I'm sure. And I said, well, you know, we're close. We'll be fine. Like the six of us are close. And he said, I've seen families closer than you guys like be torn apart by this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, oh my God, you can see how that would happen. It was, uh, it, it was did. difficult. It did. It did. Yeah. Not yeah. in the way that we would expect, you know? And I remember being like, I think we should get a mediator. He said, we should get a mediator. I think we should get a mediator. And it was like, <laughs> no, because we were very close, but I think what we didn't understand was that again, and we can go to mom's like origin story. Like we, um, she was so hell bent on us being a unit Yep. that she managed all of us and our relationships with each other in this way that I think we didn't, we didn't see, you know, she would, you'd be on the phone with her and she would say like, Oh, Lisa wants to know this. And so it was like, you knew that your siblings cared about you and were asking about you, but it was through her. We didn't really like, and there's huge, I mean, we, we were in all different points of life in all different cities and areas and stuff like that. So I think some of that is just totally normal, but we were not prepared for the psychological uh, blow that was taking that house apart. Yeah. And re and renegotiating all of our relationships with each other. And, and so it shook out, you know? Yeah. I feel like now, 15 years later, we're getting back. Mm -hmm, Totally. Not, we're not getting back. We're creating a new, yeah. Way of yeah relating to one another. Yeah. Cause we tried, I think like, again, like going back to like compartmentalizing, I think for a while we tried to just be like, Oh, this is normal. It's cool. We'll just have Christmas like normal and Thanksgiving, like normal. No, right. <laughs> like, right. It's not normal. And in some sense, like it's the pandemic. I feel like that started us all talking together as six. Our group text. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the, I, I just, I, it brings me joy. It's just, everyone is, yeah. 
kind of their true best, funniest self, yeah. you know, and yeah. sometimes I'll pick up my ho- my phone and there'll be 17 texts and I'm like, oh, I know I missed like a whole yeah. conversation, you know, <laughs> about like hot dogs or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or do you remember when, right. like, you know, um, and it's, I get a kick out of it. I think it's, it's nice, but it, it's taken the pandemic and a long time yeah. to uh, get to that place. And I think that like, what, I just want to be clear without getting into too much details and sharing stuff about siblings that are not on the podcast and don't aren't, you know, we haven't talked to about the fact that we're even doing this, but um, that it wasn't like that we fought over like plates, you know what I mean? That wasn't the thing. I think it was that the, the gravity of what we went through and being in those rooms with those six people. Um, we, we have this idea, this myth that that always brings you together. This used to be the phrase trauma bond used to mean like that you had, that was like your battalion. You had a bond with people you went through a catastrophe with. um, And that bond was unlike any other. And sometimes that happens, but I think also like, I can't, I don't even, I'm going to, this is going to make me cry talking about it, but being in those hospital rooms and seeing what happened, like living through it and then seeing it on (laughs) your faces. Yeah. That's the worst part. Like you, that's that, that there's not words. That was the worst part. Yeah. I can't, I, I think I can handle my own pain, but I can't handle right. seeing right. the five of you in pain. Right. All at was, once too. Like yeah. it wasn't even you're used to one sibling going through something and providing support and all that. But it was so that I think that, I think that it became really difficult to like see each other's faces, you know, in yeah. this way, that's like really hard to explain or understand, which is that then how do you deal with it? Because you can't, it's not like, Oh, so-and-so got this plate and I'm pissed about it. And then you can have a conversation about it. It's like, it's too painful because I can see the remnants of pain in your face. And that's, exactly. that's hard. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes, yeah, it makes total sense. I can, those images in those rooms of everyone's reactions will be forever Mm -hmm. emblazoned in my head Mm -hmm. more than the person who was no longer in the room, you know, because their soul had left. So, yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I'm glad you clarified that. It's not, it wasn't about the details. It wasn't, there weren't arguments over who got what or. Mm-hmm. It was tense. That stuff was, bull- I mean, that's hard, but it, yeah. was, it was, we handled that stuff. It was just, yeah, yeah it was, it was intense. And those, yeah. you know, I, I, for people who've, who've been through trauma, a lot of people ask me like, when will the images like go away? When will that stuff stop. And I think like, it's really important to say that I remember talking to you about this, like, I don't know, six months or a year later being like the hospital images, like when will they go away or the ambulance or like the stuff like that? Like, and you know, it's terrible. Those images are terrible. Um, but they, and they don't go away and, but the, they change and your relationship to them changes. I could not have talked about that probably until like right now you know what I mean? Without totally breaking down. Yeah. Yeah. They do. They get, um, for me, they got, um, smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Those images, they, they didn't take up as much space. Yeah. But they're different than other memories. They're like crystallized flashes, like 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. I always thought it would be, and it's, this is, I don't think anyone would agree to this and it's fine that they wouldn't because I understand, but to kind of get everyone's impressions of those moments. Oh, I know. Cause they'd be very different. I know. I think. Totally. You know, and then put it all together. Yeah, yeah. No, I think so too. I especially don't remember my reaction in when coming into the room. So dad was, they came into the room and told us, they came into the conference room and told us all at once. But when mom died, it was different because we were all in different places. So like Lisa and Matt were there at the hospital first, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then Luke and then, and then Jake, Dan and I came in all at once because we were in the same car from New York. Right. And I remember coming into the room and mom wasn't on, she wasn't connected to any machines. And that's, you know, without even knowing that that's a thing yeah. that you're expecting, it was like, she's gone. She's gone. She's I didn't even see her. You can kind of see when someone's gone, which I actually find really kind of comforting, which we can talk about in a sec if you want, because that sounds really weird, but um, there were no machines. And I was like, oh no. Yeah. And then I don't remember. I, I got to tell you, I was in the cubicle with her and I don't know when she left. Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, yeah, I didn't get that sense of like, she's not, yeah, this is, you know what I mean? They're blurry. They're, they're blurry. Yeah. Images, memories, you know? It's, I remember going into the room after dad, you know, after they told us about dad and just to go back to what I was saying about it being comforting, because what, that's a weird thing to say that it's comforting to see somebody dead. But (laughs) I remember like being like having this really clear realization that like he was gone, like his body was there, but like dad was gone. Yeah. And it was the same with mom. Like she wasn't, it wasn't, you get this idea if you've never experienced that before that it's like, you'll, that it looks like they're sleeping or whatever. It doesn't. No, I remember mom said, like, we have to go home, mm. you know, and I, again, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think that I remember them calling the house to say dad was, they said, come back dead 30 in the morning. No, 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 no. Like after, like we left in the morning, Christmas morning. Really? Yeah. And I remember thinking like, are we supposed to be staying? Like, mm-hmm. cause I think it took a little while after. Well, cause he was, his, he was brain dead cause he had a stroke, but his heart was still beating. Exactly. Beating. So I think that took some time, but I remember mom saying like, we have to go home. Like we have to, he's not here. Yes. Like yes. we have to follow life. Right. We have to go home. Right. You know? Yeah. But that, I mean, that. <laughs> what? <laughs> you just made a phase like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. But even like talking about it now, it's not scary. It's not painful. It's just, I mean, it, it, it helps. So yeah. why don't, why don't we do it? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It feels to me like visiting, like visiting those memories, you know, is it, it, it doesn't feel like an onslaught like it used to. It feels like, oh, okay, we can go visit that and it can, you know, right. it can change. She was so fucking like resolute, like immediately, you know? Not immediately, but almost immediately. Because I remember she, the other thing was, it was Christmas day. Mom, yeah. And so I remember the other thing was that she was like, we're not, we're not, nobody comes over today. Like this day is for us. We'll deal with all the other people tomorrow. Oh, people who had found out. Yeah. 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 
I think visiting the, the memories helps me realize how huge it was, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think I have a tendency to be like, okay, this is what happened. Bah, 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 bah. You know, <laughs> no big deal. It, it's a huge deal. That was a huge deal. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. You know, well, and this is, it's such a fine line too, because like, I think that like our, our coping, you know, and this, and then we should talk about like where this comes from, because this is totally mom. She just powered through like, oh, yeah. absolutely. Whatever was happening. She, she, we powered through like, boom. Um, but and that's a superpower. So it's not that you want to like get rid of that or make it not a thing, you know, but any, any coping tool can be used as a weapon. And I think like you can destroy your life doing that too. So it has to be like a thing that you choose rather than a compulsion. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to have the balance. You have to, right. like, I, I remember and you know, a, a searching afterwards to find meaning. Yeah. Which I, I, I have this David Kessler book. It's under my computer right now, propping yeah. it up that I still haven't cracked open oh, finding so meaning, it's so good. <laughs> which I need to, it's important, but anyway, searching afterwards, trying to find meaning and trying to get some, something mm-hmm. going to um, the mind body Institute at I think it was Beth Israel hospital at the time in Boston, it was a program. Mm. Um, and I remember the instructor saying, you have to limit the number of times you revisit a traumatic event because yep. your body doesn't know yep. the difference. Yep. And I took that to heart. Like, okay, yeah. I can't, I, I can't go back there. Yeah. I can't do that. Right. And that kind of shut down Yeah. that part. This is why we experience need for nuance me. in these, in the, when we talk about this stuff, cause that's true and false, right? Like exactly. it's, it's not either, or it's not like, okay, well, and oh man, this, I'm going to stop me if I'm, if I start ranting, but like the, the memories, traumatic memories are not the same as regular memories. Your body interprets them as threat and danger and responds as if the threat is current because the part of your brain that's recognizing threat is not sophisticated enough to tell the difference between past and present. And the memory isn't coded in a way that lets any of your other rest of your brain figure out that it's a past thing. Mm -hmm. And so um, we, I think we need this, like, if I, I said this yesterday, like (laughs) if I had all the money in the world, I would just start like a think tank of really smart people. And we would just develop new language because even talking about it as a memory is not true. Like neurobiologically, it's not a memory. It's something else. Right. So, but the reason it's like that is because it hasn't been integrated and processed. And so you can't then just say like, oh, this memory is dangerous. And so I'm going to truncate it, strangulate it, put it over here, make it completely go away because then it will just get stronger and that will come up as symptoms in your body or in your behavior or your psychology or whatever. Um, So, but then like there are modalities like prolonged exposure therapy, which I've done lots of research on and written about, which makes people very angry. It is torture. It is literal torture. And it is the gold standard treatment for PTSD in this country. And we are torturing people to the point of which they become suicidal and commit suicide. Like this is not a, like, 
it is because what you do in that modality and it's, it was designed for something separate, but um, is you take the memory and you try to desensitize it by revisiting it over and over and over and over and over and over again in a very intentional, vivid, specific way. Um, And it, it, so you have to find a middle ground where you can integrate and process without re-traumatizing yourself to the point of like that both of those things are real. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think at that time, that advice was very helpful for me. For sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, it made sense. And but. probably gave you permission to be like, okay, right. This is the healthy thing to do is to put it over here. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. There just has to be like, I, I think of um, when I first met Brent um, and he came to my place in Boston, I had this like shrine basically, Yeah, you know, pictures of mom and dad, like mm-hmm. next to the bed. Yeah. It, um, several pictures, framed pictures. Yeah. And he said to me, um, you know, that's the first thing, like, that's the last thing you see at night. And the first thing you see in the morning. Yeah. And you might want to think about that, you know? Yeah. And not just in like a pointing it out kind of way. Right. Right. And it made sense, you know, and like now 15, 13 years later, Mm. I still have the pictures. They're still on display, right? But there's a couple, and they're in a place that's right. um, Not as forward facing. It's that's such a good example. They're integrated into your life. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's the thing. The trauma. Remember, we said like that. We were talking about um, David Morris, who says that trauma is a truth that tells you a lie. Yeah. The truth is that that was horrible. The truth is we now know a lot about the world that we didn't know before. The lie is that if you, if you, if you stop like attending to it every second, that it will somehow break you. Or that if you forget that it's the most important and only thing about you, that you lose your identity or you lose them in this way that they're, you know, you can't recover from. And those things aren't true. Right. It's the goal is, to greet, and I think grief is traumatic, not maybe not always, but certainly could be. Um, the goal is integration, not getting over. Yeah. And also not like thinking this is the most and only important thing about me, you know? Right. Right. And there's a time for that. Like we, we did that for a while and it was, it was, but. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember like feeling like, so many different things, you know, because you're just so raw in those moments. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we were driving back on the mass pike, like every bloody day, you know, <laughs> trying to sell the house and pack things up. Mm-hmm. And I remember like wanting to tell the person in the toll booth, like, <laughs> you know, when there used to be people in toll booths, like right. this is, this is what's happening, you know, in my life oh, and, you know, right. wanting to broadcast it, Yeah, you yeah. know, and then very specifically wanting to hide it under the bed. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. I started a new grad program that fall. So in 2008 and I didn't tell anybody. And that's awkward because people at that age in your life, I was like, I was 25. Right. So people be like, Oh, does your, you know, where do your parents live? And you're like, they don't. And then these people who, you you know, this, just to like put like the grad, our grad program was seven people. So it's a really small cohort. So you sort of necessarily get to be close quickly and um, you, you know, you, it's weird to not, <laughs> to not have, 
to have this huge thing that had, that just happened in February, it's September yeah. and I'm not talking about it. And I remember right. people being like, why didn't you say anything? And I, you know, I was just like, I, I don't know. Why didn't, were you afraid you were going to like break down? No, I didn't want it to be the only thing about me. I didn't want to be the broken, sad girl. Yeah. I didn't want to wear that label. I wanted this, this was a new experience and it was a new, a new program and a new, you know, I wanted that to be new, you know? Yeah. I didn't want a fresh start. Yeah. And I didn't want people to feel weird or feel like they had to like tiptoe around me or like, you know, because like we talked about with the letter writer who lost her partner to suicide, people are weird. Yeah, they are. And it's not their fault. Like I wasn't angry at them. You know what I mean? But it was just like, I don't want to do this every fucking time I meet somebody. Exactly. Like, exactly. I want to put it away. I I want this to, yeah. I don't want this to be what defines me. Right. I don't want it to be the only thing about me. Yeah. And I was also like, for what it's worth, like so panicked and anxiety stricken all the time that like, I... I don't even know how to describe that. I was doing this, like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Thing to try to, because if I opened any of those wounds, it was like, like you said, like, it wasn't just about breaking down or crying in front of someone else. It was about like, if I let go of this, I might not like recover or be able to function, you know? Right. Right. That like gripping. Well, that was the, the that was mom. Right. Yeah, that's put your head down and power through it. Yeah. Yeah. And dad, he was like that too. Yeah. And it's in a, interestingly like the same way, but in, from a totally different, he was like hope, you know? Yeah. And she was fear and they both had the same coping power through thing, but right. From a different place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Different like energy source. Cause I think he was truly optimistic. Like oh, he was for, and she was not. Right. Right. Not because she was like a Debbie Downer, but because so much stuff had happened to her that she was like, yeah, the world's terrible. Get it, you know, get a grip. Right. So it doesn't get you. Right. Get control of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So why, so we're both clearly at the point where it's not going to take us down. Yeah. It hasn't taken us down. Yeah. I shouldn't speak for you. I'm going to, I'm only going to speak for myself. I'm clearly at the point where I know it's not going to take me down, (laughs) but why do I still resist letting it in? Oh, so, okay. I was thinking about this the other day. So I have a colonoscopy this, this week. Um, It's just a part of life. It's a, it's a very frequent topic of conversation, (laughs) which is uncomfortable and amusing at the same time. Uncomfortable for other people. I don't think (laughs) that various people would be like, you guys talk about colonoscopies a lot. It's like, yep, yep, yep. We do. We have to. We do. (laughs) Which by the way, if you are needing to be screened and you are hesitating, just go do it. You know, it's not pleasant prep, but it is not nearly as bad as everyone talks about. Um, and it's life-saving. So there you go. Um, yep. but so I was, I had to have a COVID test because you have to, um, you have to be screened for COVID before you can go and have this colonoscopy done. And I was bummed about it. And I'm sitting in my car cause they just like a drive through thing. And I was like, oh, fuck, you know, like this is, I don't want to do this. I don't want to get a COVID test. I don't have any symptoms. I don't want to do the thing. I was doing the, like, I call this like kicking and screaming, you know, where I'm just yeah. like, the complete opposite of radical acceptance. <laughs> where I'm like, 
I don't want to get a colonoscopy. I don't want to do, I don't want this to be my life. And I was just, and I was thinking like, okay, why? Like, what is so bad about this? I'm lucky that I can afford it. I'm lucky that I have doctors available to me. I'm lucky that I can get this done during a pandemic, like, you know, the whole thing. Um, but it's just, I, the thing that I settled on, which seems very like small is that it is just very dark. It is very dark. It is heavy and dark. And I think that we are, I feel like I am grappling with both like a genetic imprint of, you know, cancer and, and all this other stuff, but also the intergenerational trauma, uh, that was, that took mom down, you know? Yeah. And that's heavy. Yeah. And I don't want it. (laughs) If I had the, if I had the option, I, I don't, I don't want that, you know? Right. And I think that's okay. But I think we, we, we do exactly what you just said, which is we like shame ourselves for not wanting the heaviness. And instead of just being like, this is heavy. And I'd really, this has been a really heavy year <laughs> and yeah. the world is really heavy. And I sort of work in heaviness all day, every day. And I don't, yeah. this heavy, I don't want. And I think that's, you know, I think that's okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? And maybe it's enough to just get to that point to say, right my reaction's a little strong right now. Right. I, I'm not sure what's going on. Right. And then to get to that point where you can say, this is dark and, and it's heavy. Right. Right. And I feel like it's not like, I'm like, Oh yeah, I just get a colonoscopy over here. <laughs> like it's, a, it's, it's not just a screening colonoscopy. No, it's not coded that way <laughs> for your insurance. It's different. It's, it is. You, there's a little bit of, of, a way in which you feel like a time bomb, you know, like, yeah, I get angry because I feel like I, why didn't mom and dad take care of this stuff? They right. might've done, they, they might still be here. Right. Which, I yeah. Get, I get mad at them, which right. is ridiculous. No, it's know? not ridiculous. They didn't take care of themselves. They, they took power through to the extreme and they thought that they didn't need, you know, mom always said like, if your body, if there's something wrong with your body, your body will tell you, well, maybe not number one. And two, you have to fucking listen to it. Right. And she you wasn't right. <laughs> Neither one of them were. Right. And that's, you know, that was partly the way that they, that I think that generation like to kind of had a lot of mistrust in doctors and, you know, yeah, they were also kind of, they were, you know, dad was a dentist and mom was a hygienist. So I think there's sort of like a little bit of a, that expert phenomenon where they're like, well, we, you know, we're kind of doctors. And so we would know, you know, yeah, which doesn't serve you. Yeah. But no, I think, I don't think it's ridiculous to get angry. It's, it's, it's such a regrettable thing. It is. And I, I remember th- like my mindset before with regards to cancer was that, you, and this is, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'm sorry that. No, I totally, I know exactly what you're saying. Somehow you bring it on. Like some, somehow you, yeah. you're not living a healthy lifestyle or you're stressed or, you know, like it, that it only happens to yeah. other people, you know? Yeah who are uh, living a different way. And um, (laughs) that couldn't be further from the truth, you know? No. And I think like that, that goes to the heart of like what we talk about when we talk about moral injury, which is this idea that like a part of why trauma is so shattering is because it shatters the, like the moral structure you were operating with. Um, And so you have this idea. I remember very clearly not thinking in the specific way that you had just said, but having this idea that like, which is exactly the same thing that like 
bad things happen to bad people. Right. And bad things don't happen to good people. And mom right. and dad were good people. And so we were good people and nothing bad was going to happen to us. And that completely shattered. And that was really disorienting. Like that it's, was, it really is. It, it It's your whole, what you've based your whole yeah. existence on yeah. those beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like it, it, it it's earth shattering. It really is. It changes everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, some like maybe I shouldn't beat myself up about not wanting to talk about it last week. Maybe it, it's just the fact that I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm not, it might be determining, determining my behavior in the moment, but I'm not, I, I can get to what I'm doing pretty quickly. Yeah. Fairly quickly. I don't know. You know, like maybe this is always going to be my tendency. Am I, I going to? I don't think that's a problem. I don't think we have to do an about face on all of our things. I think we just have to notice them. Right. Exactly. You know, exactly. Um, I had wanted to talk about mom and her, like um, her way of being, but I don't know how to start, you know, in what regard, what do you mean? Just like, I think she's such a good example of like, intergenerational trauma and of like the any tool can become a weapon if you overuse it and you know I think one of the other really shattering things um that maybe this is a way in I don't know one of the really shattering things for me was like we as we started going through shifting through like mom's stuff and to some extent this was true like in the in the grieving process as well. Like it became really clear that in some sense, she like, she couldn't live without dad. Mm -hmm. And that was really confusing because she was such a, I mean, like I always struggle to find the words because they're, they just don't seem to like match up. Um, Her friend, Mary Sullivan used to say, sometimes we fall off the edge of language. And I feel like that's, that happens every time I try to talk about mom. She was so like, she was a force. Yeah the idea that she would be taken down by anything was unfathomable. Yeah. Like she was the center of the universe. She was the strongest thing. She was the most terrifying power of your whole world. Yeah. And then, and the idea that she couldn't live without dad was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. She was formidable. But it's because she, she had this, titanium facade hiding her fear and anxiety like she just never let that out and I think it it was I remember having a conversation with her towards the end of her life where she was talking about friends of hers not understanding that she was struggling you know yeah yeah and it was like I, I remember being like well of course like they they can't see you as a thing that would struggle you're always the person that takes care of everybody else like and not just in that like I'm a helper way but in that like nothing could ever take you down kind of way. Right. You know? Right. The idea that you would struggle is confusing to anybody, you know? Right. And she refused struggle. Like I remember having to, she lied about like going back to when she was sick and like trying to keep us all away. And it was clear that we needed to help her, but she like couldn't do it. You had to like fake her out and be like, oh, I'm just home for no reason. Ha ha ha. Oh, I bought all these groceries for you. Like, you know? And like, she lied about appointment times in the beginning to like, so no one would come with her. And like, it was just, 
she was she, like a toddler. Like she, <laughs> she, she was such a blockhead sometimes. My God. She was so, stubborn. Yeah. Stubbornly. Yeah. And that stubbornness kept her alive. Like it's not, I don't want to say like that. It, this is the thing. This is how my statement of the year is like, we need nuance there. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that she, that's not all she was. It, right. it was, and it, and it wasn't a bad thing. Like it wasn't just that she was stubborn and it was bad. It was, that was the thing that kept her alive. She came from a family that was catastrophic. Yeah. And she made it into adulthood without being an addict. And that, that was a huge feat that shouldn't yeah. have been accomplished. Like it shouldn't have been possible. Right. Given the way she grew up, but she did it. Right. Right. And she created her own family and her, you know, there were things that she was very clear mm-hmm. and resolute on that she passed on to us, all of us mm-hmm. um, that are absolute non-negotiables. Yep. Values. and Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think she would have gotten to that balance. You know, I, I think she was just on the tip of, understanding the trauma in her own life mm-hmm. Ex- uh, accepting that there was trauma in her life she thought because she didn't take the path that her siblings took yeah that she had survived mm-hmm. and she did survive but she was affected by it yeah you know well and, and this is- oh go ahead and that catastrophic trauma continues It's not over. No. It's passed down. It's heartbreaking. It's devastating. It's like a landmine that continues to go off over and over and over again. Which I think is part of the thing that I was thinking about on Saturday when I was talking about the, like the heaviness, you know? Yeah. Because um, unconsciously or consciously, I, there is a way in which we are all battling against that every day. Yeah. And sometimes winning and sometimes not. Yeah. Because it doesn't, it didn't get resolved. We, and, and so there's this interesting, like burden is not the right word, but like she died in the middle of that, in the middle of resolving that for herself. Right. And so it's left to us in two senses. Like, I feel like I have to, I feel like we have to keep doing that work for her take up the the project you know what I mean like she left it for us in some sense not in a bad way but just that this is like she that was unfinished and we have to finish it and also that's kind of impossible maybe and also the other thing is that it is generate like it's it's genetic right like you know epigenetics shows us that intergenerational trauma is not just a story it's a it's a programming of your central nervous system yeah that comes out in your behavior and your psychology and your relationships and your self sense of self and all these things. And we have to be vigilant all the time about all that stuff. Right. And, and you're right. It doesn't, I mean, it's not, it's not gone. It's still happening. The, the, the family, her family is still crumbling and that's very dark. Yeah. Crumbling. Yeah. in a way that like, I can't even face it. I can't handle it. I I can't be a part of it. It's um it's tragic. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I this is like you're going to think I'm a wacko, but 
<laughs> Probably not. No. <laughs> Did you watch that thing on uh, about the Elliott Hotel in LA? No. The Elliott Hotel? I could be getting that wrong. It, it was a horrible death that occurred at that hotel. No. It's on Netflix. I think. Jesus. Sorry. That's okay. Um, but it's this, this hotel um, in this bad area of LA, downtown LA. And um, this horrible thing happens. But at one point they talk about kind of the history of the hotel okay, and the kind of people who had been staying there over the years. And it was, you know, kind of temporary housing. Yeah. And someone said in the documentary, um, there was a lot of like hardship there yeah, and you could feel it. Yeah. You know, and, and I know that I've walked into places, yeah. physical spaces, yeah, specifically house hunting or, or looking at condos oh, yeah. and felt like my chest was closing, like yeah. something's bad, like something, yeah. and then done a little research on the property afterwards and realized that it was yeah. a boarding house or, or yeah. temporary housing. But if you think about like how a physical location can take on those feelings, yeah for years and years and years afterwards. Yeah. Like imagine when it's in your own family. Yeah. Right. 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 Is right. that too much of a stretch? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, I think that's totally, I mean, there's the, there's an imprint. Right. And the, the imprint is in your blood, not just in the house. Right. And I think that that's, um, that's really important. Cecil Hotel, is that what you're talking about? Cecil, yeah, sorry. Elliot, what the hell am I saying? Cecil. <laughs> the vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. Yeah, no, it's um and that that makes me angry because I think that, you know, again, I'm trying to like be careful and not like talk publicly about people that don't didn't have a say in being talked about. Also, I might not care about that though, you know? Like right. <laughs> um but I uh just to always go back to the both and. <laughs> um, but I, I, I get angry at that because I think like, like we, it's like, there's this obvious project and not everyone is like involved and on board and in, in completing it. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Continuing to lie and live in your bullshit. Yeah. Well, if you don't shine the light on it somehow, some way, it, then it will continue. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And I think like, this is a, this is a thing that I'm, 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 in my old age, <laughs> stop it. I'm becoming, <laughs> I'm becoming like less conservative. I used to be, I think I said this once on the podcast before, but I used to be like, I would go to a conference. And the first thing that I, that I did academically was write about mourning and, and that we need to learn how to do this. Like as a culture, we need to do this politically. We need to do this individually. We need to get better at mourning. Mourning needs to be a thing that we need, that we know how to do. Because when we don't, we that we suffer unnecessarily and cause damage and end up dehumanizing people. And, you know, people would be like, well, so we're all supposed to just mourn all the time, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, no, there's people who are more drawn to it and like they can do the mourning and, you know, but you have to let it in as a thing. Yeah. And now I'm like, no, no, like you don't get to opt out. Sorry. You don't get to opt out. You don't get to be like, I don't want to talk about trauma. Like it's there. Everyone's living it learn how to figure it out and learn how to face it. Stop it. You know, right. <laughs> like, right. That's you, you can't 
turn away from it, even though I get it like some, and you know, it's, this is part of it though. Like if we all learn how to face it, then we'll all also be able to turn away when we're too overwhelmed to face it. Right. Instead of leaving the burden on the the very few people that, that are, that are like, okay, let's do this. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Any sense, but. And, and it's not a problem to be solved. It's something to be aware of. It's something to recognize. Yeah. Right. To know how to cope with. Exactly. To have like some literacy around so that you don't, you know, there's this whole, I was just writing a chapter about this in the book. Like there's this whole movement right now that like coaching can't talk about the past. Coaching can't talk about trauma. Was I talking about this last time? No. And it's like frustrating because what we end up doing then when we're drawing these lines is you come to me and you say like, I have this thing that's really, it's really overwhelming. I need to talk about it. And I say, Nope, I can't talk about trauma. And I put my hands up. What does that do to you? Right. Shame How about if I'm able to say I can, I can witness this part of it or I can help you in this way. And then we can also go to these other resources, right? Why does it have to be this dividing line? But anyway, there's a cool thing behind that, but yeah. It's not about figuring it out or solving it. Like you just said, it's about learning how to cope. Well, I think that going back to mom for a second, like she was so good at shining the light on a lot of things, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I think we touched on this at one point, like if she thought you had to work something out, you better sit your ass down in the kitchen (laughs) and work it out with her. Keep you hostage in the car. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cause you didn't have a choice, you know? And, and that's a good thing. You know, I, I appreciate that. And I, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. But because she wasn't, because she was unable to be in touch with her own familial trauma, like she couldn't shine the light on that for us. So maybe that's the, maybe that's the journey that maybe that's yeah. what we need to continue. Say more about that. That's important. Well, I think it's, I think it's like telling the truth. I think, you know, when we have gotten frustrated with, um, people who are, who are not forthright or honest and, um, you know, pretend that things aren't happening that are happening um, and don't mm-hmm. acknowledge mm-hmm. that this cycle is continuing, mm-hmm. you know, um, to the point that um, we don't want to deal with them. We don't want to speak to them. We don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, spend time with them. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if the we're ever going to be able to teach them or to, tell them how to feel or, you know, choose what they experience, but I don't know. I, but but you can shine the light and that, and that's your, that's your thing, right? Right. I'm going to shine the light. That may be uncomfortable for you. If you choose to opt out and continue to stay in this denial, then boom. Right. That's, that's I I think of some of these families whose, whose children have died of, of drug overdoses and they come out and they talk about it. Mm-hmm. And they say that this is really difficult, but we want to, we want to talk about this because we want yeah. to maybe help someone else to, right. to shine the light on it. This is what happened. This is our story. Right. This doesn't mean this was a bad person or a bad kid, or it's just. Right. Addiction is real. It is devastating. It is something right. that you need to talk about and face and bring into the open and not hide in the closet. Right. Right. Because that just lets it fester. You know, and it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and it's painful, but it's, it's true. It's the truth. Right. So is a colonoscopy. You do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's life or death. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. I feel like we should talk about like funny things about mom for just like a few minutes and then we can go to the tiny little joy. Okay. What do you got? <laughs> He's trying to think of funny things. Um, she had such a good laugh. She was also so, um, she said that she wasn't gregarious. Like this is one of the things I remember her talking about after dad died, that he was the gregarious one and oh, she God. loved but she was so charming. Yeah. People loved her. Yeah. People like at the grocery store, like, you know, she was yeah. extremely relational, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Super kind mm-hmm. and, and truly interested, like really wanted oh, yeah. to know yeah. everyone's story. Yeah. You know, that wasn't yeah. bullshit. That was, that was no, who no, she was. Totally. She was very funny. Yeah. Like that dry sense of humor. Yeah. Someone, um, I posted something about her on Instagram the other day and I'm going to tell Tim, shout out to Tim QCab if he's listening. So I'm just going to quote him. <laughs> My favorite memory of your mother was when I was barely 21, probably younger. I stopped by the Long Meadow house and your parents were opening a bottle of red wine. They offered me a glass. It must have been my first glass of wine ever. As if I was some sort of elegant wine drinker, I proudly announced that this wine would taste wonderful with fish. <laughs> Your mom looked at me and Riley said with a huge smile, try it with a steak. <laughs> Which is like, I could I could see her mannerisms, like as she... Yeah. See her face. When he yeah. I love that he shared that. It was so funny. Thank That's you. great. Yeah. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Try it with a stick. Just because, you know, as you know, red wine is a red, right. meat, white wine is a fish thing. Right. <laughs> there was like a whole modern family about that. <laughs> I'm trying to think of funny stories. I don't know. She like, when she started laughing, like it was hard not to laugh yourself. Yeah, totally. It was hard to like pull it back, you know? Yeah, Totally. I just remember you, you, t- I think you put this in the Instagram post. I remember her, like, <laughs> I think I was home for something. So, and I think I was a little bit hungover, like up on the third floor oh, and she would blast that Bose stereo, like yeah. at eight o'clock in the morning with like <laughs> Ray Charles. And you'd be like, please God, like <laughs> shut up. And then you go down, but you talked about her dancing in the kitchen to James Taylor and it's that Mexico song. And I could, I could uh-huh. see that so clearly and her like getting the dishes that, you know, the dinner plates out of that um, cabinet over the TV dancing to the song. <laughs> so she was joyful. She was joyful. She was joyful. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of joy, <laughs> do you have tiny little joys? I do. I think this is on the theme, although I didn't mean it to be. I um, <laughs> I went, uh, Sadie, the dog, had to go to the bathroom at 1.30 in the morning. So I have to go down and let her out. And um, <laughs> I didn't realize that the back stairs were slippery. Oh, no. So I got down like most of them. But then like I took a digger on the, <laughs> the last two steps. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> and she she was like Sadie was frantic like ran down the stairs and was like licking my face and I was fine I just landed on my butt and I'm sure I'll have a big bruise on my butt oh, I but uh, she was licking my face and stuff and I just like started laughing you know at 1 30 in the morning like in the dark after I fell down the, a couple of stairs and I was thinking about how we as a family have these like spectacular falling on ice stories we do <laughs> We do. Is that all Massachusetts families or just that? I don't know. Probably all of Massachusetts. But thinking, you know, that's probably like I was trying to hold it together or like, you know, 
be control like control myself and yeah. sometimes you just fucking fall on your ass like on a patch of ice and you just have to laugh <laughs> you can't take yourself too seriously exactly exactly that's so funny yeah i'm glad you didn't like break your tailbone nope <laughs> nope i'm fine it's just funny I remember one time falling. Do you remember that time we were walking at Charlestown around Charlestown? It wasn't even icy. <laughs> you kept slipping on like leaves. I think you fell down like four times. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you had those like flat boots on. <laughs> they were like ice on the bottom. <laughs> It, I think it happened four times. <laughs> we were totally sober. Like it wasn't. Oh yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't drinking related at all. Oh my God. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh my God. I can't stop laughing. Sorry. That was okay. <laughs> okay. Pull yourself together. It's always, <laughs> that's the mom voice. <laughs> yep. Oh. <laughs> it's good to laugh. Oh my God. Um, that's a way to complete the stress. Um, okay. My tiny little joy is really tiny and small, but it was funny. Um, so the, I woke up this morning and the, um, the power was out and it was like seven 15 and PG and E in California is just like a complete, you know, cluster. And yeah. so the power goes out, it could be like five days. You don't have any idea. <laughs> and I, I just, I like laid in bed for a full five minutes and I was like, I can't smell coffee. Did the coffee machine go off? Cause I didn't know what time the power went out and I have the coffee machine set automatically. Um, and I like for a, f- a full five minutes, like we didn't want to get out of bed. Cause I was like, if I get out of bed and there's no coffee, that's going to be very sad. You know? <laughs> and cause sometimes when the power goes out, it goes out in the whole town. So you have to drive kind of far to get coffee, you know? Um, and the coffee had gone off before oh, the power went out. Yeah. And I like just took the whole morning to like bask in that, like that yeah. I hot coffee and that nothing else mattered because I had hot coffee. That's a gift. It was a gift, but it was also like an opportunity to like, really like take that tiny little joy and like have it become the like orienting thing of the day. You know, I love that. Like I love coffee more than lots of other things. I know it was easy, but yeah. Well, that's good. I like that. Yep. Coffee machines are a tiny little joy. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for facing the the thing and talking about it, even though you didn't want to talk about it. I think it was good. Thank you for giving me a week to do that and of course. Just get, get my thoughts in order. Of course. I'm not a bully. <laughs> I hope it was helpful. I, I, I do remember going through um, mom and dad's deaths and, you know, really um, feeling connected to people who had also been through something similar. So totally. yep. I, hope, I hope this is helpful. I feel like I wish I had like a pithy little statement about like grief, but... I don't. It's a work in progress. Mm. It's nuanced. It needs to be nuanced. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. Yep. Totally. It's a journey. It's not. It's a journey. Trust yourself. It gets better. It does get better. It evolves in a really interesting way if you're open to it. Yep. And it changes you in a way that is good. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So we... um, yeah, we are at, we have a website now, um, which uh, our brother Jake kindly built for us, which is awesome, which is just at the traumatapes.com. 
Um, he is at Snow Snow Shack Sites. <laughs> Sorry, that's hard to say. <laughs> Snow Shack Sites. Um, if you're interested in um, doing a project. Um, and yeah, email us at um, the trauma tapes at gmail.com if you have a story and we will um, feature it here on the podcast. As always, please subscribe and like and suggest to other people because that is what he keeps us going. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.